and welcome to the TRK Mailbag. My name is Tom Savage. I hope you've had a good week. As usual, this podcast is about your questions, your comments, the things you want to know about the game. And uh, if you want to send a question in, you can do so in three different ways. You can send me a message on Patreon. Uh, you can leave a message in the comments or direct message me there. Or you can send an email to info at 3 Or you can go to the TRK Secret Club, which if you are not a member of, you should be. You can just join. Just go to your membership be- uh, benefits on Patreon and you can just get straight there. And uh, you can leave a question there in the TRK Mailbag channel. And uh, you can leave a question there, have a nice little conversation about the questions, and then I will get to them on this podcast eventually. So... First question I have in here is from uh, Ben Finley, brave Ben Finley in the TRK Secret Club. Uh, Given that South Africa think Klain is good enough to play for them and their play style is very different to ours, uh, by ours he means Ireland, do you think any of the current Irish Rugby World Cup locks would make the South African Rugby World Cup 33? Uh, And if so, which South African players would be bumped to make space for them? That's a very good question. Um, I think the closest guy to the Springbok 33 would be James Ryan um, just because he's he's quite dynamic and I know dynamic is a bit of a buzzword at the moment but um, when he's at his best he is a really good player and he'd be the closest but when you ask me who he'd bump in the squad I don't know like he is not a heavyweight second row. I think Ireland have kind of given up trying to get him to that 120 kg mark because he doesn't seem to be playing at that weight. He was going that direction, I think certainly in the the last number of years, but he seems to have tapered back a bit. And I think now there's a bit of a search on, and I think that in Joe McCarthy at the moment, they have somebody who fits that profile of the guy they want you know, to partner James Ryan with the idea being that that guy be the tight head lock going forward certainly when it comes to the scrum I mean there's other there's different Ireland I think with the guys who are currently in that World Cup squad I don't think there's any true tight head lock style second rows uh, there at the moment I have a different way of classifying second rows because I think if you just focus on the scrum I think that you get a again I think you get a bad read on the type of players that there are there now the tight head lock absolutely is a real uh role set in this game now there's a tight head lock power forward which is a different type of player but a tight head lock generally is a guy who will be six foot six plus they would be capable of playing at 125 kg plus 120 kg plus at a push um their primary role set is tight carrying off nine they will have a fairly large breakdown output. Uh, they are real power players at the set piece. So obviously they will scrummage on the right hand side. So they'll be behind the tight head prop more likely than not. Um, but they will also be uh, front jumpers. So they might jump at two or four in the line out. Uh, they may generally be used more as lifters so that they can be used to drive more in the all on both sides of the uh, of the shove and you know offensively you'll generally see them being quite tight to the to the rock where the ball is coming from um and and that's how they're used they might not be dominant ball carriers but 
again, they will always be involved in and around the contact area. You could see how a guy like Joe McCarthy, should he develop at the rate he's currently going at, is a guy you could certainly fill that bracket. But they're very difficult players to, to get and they're very difficult players to build just because the, the risk of injury is so high. Because again, if you're a tall player, you're a guy who's, you know, six foot six and above, not that, you know, anybody over six three is tall, really, you know, <laughs> like, but no, actually, I'd say anybody over six two is, is I would, I would class as being tall. Um, the higher and taller you get, um, obviously, the, the, the rarer those people are. So when you have guys who are, you know, six foot six or six foot seven, six foot eight with very, very big frames, these are rare enough types of players. And when you start to load different athletic capacity onto these guys, they can react very, very weirdly, especially when you have um, a lot of, we'll say, weight you've got to put on them. So we'll say you want to have a tight head lock like George Cruz, for example. If you go back and look at George Cruz when he was, uh, I mean, you might remember him, he played for Saracens, he played for England. This was in the, uh, prior to the 2019 World Cup. He was a really big player for Saracens, to be fair. Now, if I was to tell you that when he came into the Saracens Academy, he was a whip of a lad compared to the guy, if you Google him, he is a massive player. I think he was playing at 120kg by the time he was finishing up. He was vital to Saracens and a really important player for England as well. Not the biggest ball carrier, although, do you know what, if you toss the ball to him five metres out, he was going to take some stopping, obviously. But that type of player, you really have to build them. Even if they've got the frame for it, you do have to build them because injuries happen so often to those big guys. And it's just, it's one of those things that, that happen when you're a, 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 a specifically tall athlete, unless you're a bit of a freak, you know, physically, where you can pack on all that size while also building the cardio that you need while also building all the explosive power that you need as well. It's rare enough that you would get somebody who has the capacity to basically just go through that big change to become a massive power athlete at that size and not get injured and not, you know, carry a whole ton of injuries. Again, I go back to Will Skelton, who would be a tight head lock power forward, which is a very, very rare build. RG Snayman is one of these as well where you are a super heavyweight player in the second row usually. Um, you are six foot seven or above. Uh, you can play at over 120 kg while also being a dominant ball carrier. Somebody who you will look to try to load up with 10, 11, 12 plus ball carries per game while also playing a core part of the set piece as well. And also scrummaging on the tight head side, which RG can do for Munster um, if J JK isn't in the field. Uh, Jean Clain, JK, it's where, it's where I knew him more than I already just do kind of acquaintancy wise. But when you look at that type of build, they're even more rare. So like Jean Clain would be a tight headlock, right? Uh, and again, he's 6'8", he can play, easily play a 120, 125 kg. Um, he has developed his game over the last number of years. But when you think back to what he's best at, it's scrummaging, it's uh, his offensive and defensive maul. It's his really heavy breakdown work and trucking the ball off nine, latching, stuff like that. I think if you need that guy to be throwing a whole ton of passes, you need to change your scheme. Now, again, this is part of the reason why I think Jean isn't in the Irish team at the moment and why he wasn't used by Farrell in the last number of, of, of years. But every 
team has their own way of playing and their own style and I think your second rows they tell a lot about what type of style you want to play so you might say well what is James Ryan's role I would say James Ryan's role is a loose headlock power forward which I would class again is a different type of player to a Will Skelton James Ryan is a guy who at his current weight I think is infinitely better than what he was in the last year or so where I think he was playing heavier as a loose head lock power forward that's a guy who you can look to try to play for the full 80 minutes they will have a lot of line out involvements all throughout the line mainly as a jumper and again with your tight head lock power forward they won't always be your primary target in the line out a loose head lock power forward could be um, they will also carry the ball quite a bit they will also be primary defenders so they're guys who you can expect to load up at the C or D channel in defence which means that they've got the pace to be able to you know, put line speed pressure if they're in that spot they don't necessarily have to stay clung near to the ruck they're comfortable defending that little bit further out because again they're very very big athletes they're rare enough in their own right um, but they don't need to play as heavy as we'll say a tight headlock or a tight headlock power forward. So when you have and, and you start breaking down these bills of loose of, of, of locks and there's more I haven't mentioned. You start to understand that when you see these guys and you identify the profile of well what do these guys look like typically and then how do those guys play you can start to see well they would look best in this system doing this. Now, if I was to look at the Springbok uh, uh, World Cup 33 at the moment and I look at their second rows, um, all of a sudden you start to see, I think, certainly there's a profile of guy they look for. Um, Obviously, the Springboks, like if you were to associate South African rugby with anybody, I think it would either be props or locks uh, because they have a lot of big people there. And um, I think certainly when you look at how they've 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 used their second rows over the years, they've never really had an issue with getting size in the team. Really, they don't really do small ball in South Africa. They don't even know how that would look. Um, so looking here at their second rows to the World Cup, and including some of their loose forwards who are half lock build players as well, we can start a look at what they're dealing with. Even at the best, um, he is your arch, you know, your archetypal. Uh, tight headlock verging on tight headlock power forward depending on how he's used uh, I think in his younger days he was more I'd say suited to that tight headlock power forward build uh, as for now he certainly is a you know great scrummager great mauler he will carry as well defensively he's a big impact player there as well he can also put a lot of line speed on too which is at, at, at his weight would be fairly um, would be fairly rare he plays at uh, well he's listed at 122 kg here at 6 foot 8 so he would fill that profile for me as being a tight head lock there's nobody in the Irish squad who I think is anywhere near what even it's the best you know from a physical perspective um so when i look at again and, and actually it's a bit a bit of a unique one because whenever you hear leinster uh, fans in the aftermath of the last couple of losses that they've had to la rochelle they're like they all talk about oh we need to get the likes of even Etzebeth into the team because he's a big name i don't think he would actually improve them in the way that they want like again i think that having james ryan continue his current form and just getting not even not even an even Etzebeth but just even to get a, like likes of a Jean Klein would instantly improve Leinster I feel because um, it would just free up uh, James Ryan to 
just again just lean more into being that loose headlock power forward and he doesn't have to carry as much weight there's lots of work that the tight headlock can take off not just the scrum all over the field so I think that would help I think the one guy who James Ryan would replace without question in that Springbok pack right now would be Marvin Ori in the second row without question um, he would be the closest guy to the um, you know like uh, again like Ori is a decent player but James Ryan is, is would be much much better he would definitely replace Marvin Ori in that Springbok uh, selection and I think that you know Jean Klein I think he gives them roll cover for um, Ibn Etzebeth I think that's shown to be the case I've been saying I was saying that all along that's why they would bring him because he gives you a roll cover for Ibn Etzebeth so if you think Jean Klein what Jean Klein does he does a lot of the same things that Ibn Etzebeth does but Ibn Etzebeth they look at him he's got much bigger muscles so people think he's a different type of player they're very similar they do a lot of the same things um Franco Mostert is listed here as a lock but he's really more of a half lock at this stage um, he can play uh, he plays quite big as well he is listed at 6 foot 6.5 he is also listed here at 112 kg which I believe is wrong I think he's up around 115 kg because again he's a half lock uh, I think that they love the, the cover he brings here you could look at maybe Ryan Baird might be in the line there possibly but you know because they, they are somewhat similar Peter Steff to Toy He's listed in as, as a loose forward here, but again, he plays really heavy as well. He's six foot seven. He plays at one twenty kg. You know, he'd be a second row in that Irish team. And uh, you look at RG Snayman. Um, he's six foot nine. He is over one twenty kg at the moment. Again, there's no natural guy who would replace him in the Irish squad right now. I mean, Thomas O'Hearn, if he fills out, and and you know, we can get a few seasons of him without getting injured I think that's a guy who could potentially fill out a similar sort of role but that's kind of that's kind of how they would break down I think James Ryan would certainly be in there ahead of Marvin Ory um, but I think Franco Mostert you know obviously a class World Cup winner you know maybe you look at Ryan Baird as being somebody from a profile perspective who they could put in ahead of him or instead of him maybe but again I, I I think James Ryan would absolutely be in there ahead of Marvin Ory but um, I think that would be about it because the other guys there are very very raw and um, again look I've had a lot of questions about Joe McCarthy I think Joe McCarthy at the moment has that potential to be a tight head lock build player I'm not sure if he's a tight head lock power forward maybe we'll have to see how he goes you know like he's still a very very young player Um, but uh, certainly I think he has the, the frame to be a very very good scrummager um, but at the moment I think he's a bit of a plus size loose head lock um, but obviously he did well on the tight head side of the scrum against Romania but that was Romania I think against Tonga should he play in that game that would be a big challenge and again should he play against uh, the Springboks that would be an even bigger challenge physically because like you could, you could, you could put him in there and I think that they might consider it but he's incredibly raw and like you'd see bits and pieces of him during the game where he's not fully down in his detail he's not fully he's not fully locked in to the you know to, to the to the bits and pieces he needs to do in, on, on line outs not all of them but you can see he gets lost every now and then that happened against uh, one of the one of the warm up games he was playing he seemed to have to be driven around the field by, by Ryan Baird at times you know and when you're a young player like that you want to be in a situation where you can be 
let her on the field and it's not a big deal right like you'll often look at uh, young players when they're coming in and, and, and kind of being built into the team right this is one of the things people don't really understand about constructing a team to actually go out there and play and actually benefit the guys that are involved one guy who I think did the likes of Gavin Coombs and, and other players a lot of good was Arno Botha uh, when he was playing for Munster a couple of years ago um, when you have a guy like Arno Botha you can start him or put him alongside any of those younger players and he will take on a lot of the the harder parts of the game to basically allow for the young player to just go out there and do what they're good at so if you have a young player for example and you know they're good you know they're, you know they're good and you know they're going to be a really good player going forward ideally they need to get game time but you don't want to load too much onto them so you don't want to put too much like intellectual like responsibility onto these younger players because you just want them to go, to go out there and play and rugby is a very complex game even when you're playing it you know like there's so much stuff you've got to learn and, 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 and there's so much stuff you've got to remember when you're out in the field getting fucking hit by some of the biggest people you've ever seen in your life so when you're a young player you're going to be a little bit clueless at times you're going to be like fuck what's my what am I what am I doing here at this lineout?" <laughs> like you, you like you do get that con- like a, a kind of a level of confusion where you're just going oh fuck like there was one match I saw last year I think it was Munster against Ulster in Thoman Park and we had a just a, a cacophony of injuries at that stage we had a starting second row of Owen O'Connor Edwin Adogbo and Evan O'Connell was in the bench right now he didn't Evan O'Connell didn't come off the bench the most experienced man at that stage was Edwin Adogbo right who was in year two of the academy now like <laughs> it's you, you look at Munster's lineups in that game and they were really poor and like there was moments where guys were blowing lifts or they were stepped they were in the wrong place so like the the, the, the lifting pod was coming towards them and they were just like oh fuck like they had to get out of the way and it's just it was a mess because it, it's such a like you, you want to go out there and play and it's like if you've got too many young fellas who are involved or a young fella who's involved in a key area of your build as a team then that puts them under a lot of pressure and they might not be able for it right they might not be up for just even just the responsibility of what's my fucking line out lifting route here like what what's the call like this is not just it's not video game rugby so a lot of the time if you see a team or a club signing in an experienced second row who might be you know 33 34 or whatever else and you're thinking oh they're taking away those game time minutes from those young fellas they're blocking him most of the time it's because they want some fella who can literally run this fella through the game and allow him to just build experience so that in a season or after maybe 10 or 11 games all of a sudden he's a bit more comfortable he understands more about what he's meant to be doing from a, just a technical perspective and it's a bit like if you've ever been to the optician right where they have those lenses where everything everything's a bit blurry and then it's less blurry and then it's less blurry again and then it, then it's perfect clarity that's how i would look at building younger players especially really big physical players into core areas of the pack right because there's so much work that you have to do in so many places you have to be like in face play never mind in the set piece where you've got certain roles and jobs you've got to be like you're learning a line out menu especially when you're expected to go okay now remember this very intricate routine that we've got to do right and here are the change up calls and you've got to remember you've got to know all of these so you're waiting for the, the line out caller to put the call in you have to remember what your role is and then 
on the next phase fucking smash into that guy <laughs> do you know and smash into that guy then in the next phase it's it's difficult and like that's how like and and, and, and like like that that need to build in like redundancies so that guys don't get out of their depth or lose themselves in a game and all of a sudden they're fucking wandering from rock to rock and they're going they're not even involved in the game because everything's happening either two seconds behind them or two seconds ahead of them that can happen to younger players and when I look at Joel McCarthy I see a guy who's got he's in great nick he looks like he's a big young fella um, he's a fella who I've seen look like he's struggling with detail mid-game um, as physical as he is and as strong as he is like I don't think Ireland can afford that unless they're very confident that he's got the detail down or they can give him a reduced role because if they give him a reduced role right they'll have to put more responsibility onto somebody else and coming up against the likes of the Springboks I think you need everybody just focusing on their own game not focusing on their own game plus Joe McCarthy's now if they're confident that he can go into that game and just play and express himself and not have to worry about his detail does he know where he's supposed to be is he going to get lost in the game now because bear in mind this is all happening where it's everything's happening really quickly and really physically as well and you might have just got smashed not even to the point where you might you know be concussed or even just not not concussed but you're a bit you know dazed after a big hit where you don't have a brain injury but you're a bit like kind of going oh what the fuck is going on here like experienced players are able to recover quickly from that you know so when you have a young player like that you want them to be able to go out there and play well look it's difficult anyway but against the Springboks who are going to be making a like if Joe McCarthy is to play against the Springboks he has to be well prepared and I'm sure he is for them to be trying to wreck his head and trying to get him off his game so they'll be putting late shots in him seeing if they can get him to react see if they can get him to lose his concentration see if they they can get him to play mad play angry and then they'll be at the same time they'll be fucking him up as well where they'll be catching him late they'll be hitting him duds at the rock the whole lot so like if you've got a young player like that of course like and the thing is I think Leinster have used him in a way that's actually really like it's actually the sensible way to use him to build him very slowly into what they require because again, a tight head lock, you might just go, oh, he's just scrummaging. Oh, he's just at the line out. You know, what's there to do? Like, it's such a core part of the team. Your your responsibilities as, like, if it will say if you're not even a mainly a jumper, even if you're a lifter, like if you're a core lifter for the team, you've got to learn a lot of stuff to be that guy and to be that guy effectively. And never mind all the physical duress you're going to be under in the scrum, mauling, you have to impose yourself there, maul D, you're imposing yourself there as well. You've got to make sure your grips are right. You've got to make sure you're in the right spot so you're not clogging a lane coming down. So if you're, you know, on a lifting route and we'll say you get ahead of the, of the, of the fella you've lifted, all of a sudden you're out of that, you're out of that maul so a fella has already driven through you if you kind of the jumper is ahead of you and you lose control of him coming down all of a sudden they're piling right through the mall and if that's a key moment in the game like we'll say Ireland are losing by four points it's into the last five minutes of a white hot you know World Cup pool decider like you want your guys knowing their detail you don't want them to be rattled or you don't want them to be spooked or you don't want them to be dazed wondering what the fuck am I doing here and with younger players that happens more often now not every young player not every young player is like that but there's a higher chance that that guy if that is if that, if, if there is a guy like that on the field chances are it's the young fella who is doesn't have a whole lot of experience 
and that's why it's so important that's why that experience is so important I think why it's so important as well to not overhype young guys especially young second rows because they have so much development to be doing like again you look at James Ryan when he broke through first um, after what was it 2018 a lot of the time he was playing next to Devin Toner who at the time was a hugely experienced player uh, or playing next to Ian Henderson who was at that time also another hugely experienced player and all of those guys like they help take some of the heat off you so that you learn as you go so eventually you can be a guy who takes the heat off somebody else that's why those you know super experienced veteran second rows are so important because they help so much with younger talent and not just with second rows but everybody so it, it's it's a it's a key part I think for Joe McCarthy just to for people to be patient with him um, but if they think he's ready for the spring box um, they better hope their judgment is right because that type of game and that, that that type of environment can actually set fellas back if they have a really bad game or if they get you know fucked up physically it can knock their confidence and rugby is all about confidence about you know thinking that you're the fucking baddest man going that you can walk out onto that pitch nobody's anything for you you have to believe that and if you go into a game against the Springboks like you realistically like you're not the baddest man in the field <laughs> like really for more, more often than not that's not the case and you've got a lot of shots that are coming your way and if you take a little bit too many or you know you get a shot that puts you down or whatever else they'll be letting you know about it you know they'll at the next scrum they'll be talking to you at the, at the line out they're talking to you and it can get into your head and it can last long beyond that game so I would just say like just to be care- and, and, and they're going to be careful with him they'll only put him in if they're sure I think but it is it is what it is when you think about how you know young players sometimes are forced into situations that you know they, they have to play because they're playing well and the, the incumbent isn't playing well and the team need to win so it's complex but um, he's a good young player and, and, and that would be my worry is that I, I wouldn't want a guy like that to be overexposed or to put into a, into a spot where obviously he's being carried which is fine if Ireland win but if they don't that you know would bring a lot of heat onto him as well and I, I you know again I, I would prefer younger guys to be given a little bit more time in that regard even though it makes me sound like an old fuddy-duddy but I think that's kind of what my thoughts on it would be certainly with Joe McCarthy um, Alex Fulton says Tom if you were to swivel Ireland's style to an on-ball uh, uh, a la Munster or the Springboks who would you pick to build the team to win the World Cup um, also with the addition of uh, RG and JK South Africa have moved to an on-ball style quite rapidly they've been actually going there for, for a year or two but um, could that be done by Ireland or has time run out well certainly if you were talking about this back at the end of August time would certainly have run out by then um, but I, I think looking at um, how how I'd build that with Ireland I, I, I would need to play heavier anyway straight away Ireland at the moment have a very light build in their pack um, and kind of all over the field really I'd have to I'd have to build more size into the team straight away now the front row would not change uh, it would still be Porter Sheehan Furlong um, with I would look to try and upscale Tom O'Toole uh, a lot quicker I'd probably downgrade Finley Beelham a small bit um, at Hooker I would stick with Ronan Kelleher at loose head lock replacement uh, I would ju- again we'd have to see how the likes of Josh Richardy goes this season if he can build on that size uh, or maybe look to try and upscale the likes of a, a Jack Boyle if his scrummaging is okay because I need power I need guys who can we can basically hand the ball to 
they will chuck the ball up for us and we can reset because again on ball rugby requires you to be able to go for five six seven phases and to, to use up that time and to be able to reset and go again so you need to have power in your front five to basically hit the line we don't need you to get wildly over the gain line but we need you to basically hold the ball for us so that we can reset our, our structures in the back and then go from there I would look for for change in the second row. I would go back to uh, a time before the end of May and I would get uh, Jean Klein involved in that Irish team. Doesn't have to start, but I would need more size in there. I'd also look to try to get Edwin Adogbo in there and have him running on the same track as the likes of Joe McCarthy because we need more size and weight in the second row than what we currently have. I would downgrade Ian Henderson uh, and I would look to try to use Tyke Byrne more as a back row to play as a half-lock style player. James Ryan would also be an important part of this as well. Um, I would move more towards that style of player with my uh, the likes of Ryan Baird. I would basically be playing with three locks every game. That would be how I would build that back up. So it would be Tyg Byrne at six. It would be Ryan Baird there as well. And um, that's how I would start building that depth chart there. The other back row spots, Gavin Coombs would be more heavily involved. Uh, he is a guy who you can load up with that volume of carrying and you know expect him to be able to retain the ball for you. Um, I would need um, my, my Peter Romani type guy, my Caelan Doris type guy. They would be basically playing the same position. So in my role chart, they're kind of competing with each other directly now. I'd also have uh, a small forward that I'd be able to either use at the start or bring off the bench. So I would be sticking with Josh van der Fleer there and looking at the likes of Alex Kandelin, John Hodnett, Scott Penny, using those guys basically to compete with each other and get them into camp. And basically, because they're, they're your guys who help you retain the ball uh, across a number of different phases. So I'd be using one of those guys to, to Josh van der Fleer to start, but I'd be looking to try and build a bit of competition there with uh, Kandelin, Hodnett and Penny. Um, halfbacks would have to change as well I'd be moving away from Gibson Park and getting Craig Casey in there to work with Jack Crowley um, at 9 and 10 they play there for their province so um, I'd be looking to try and keep them in that spot there reason why I'd be going with Craig Casey is his pass quality and consistency for me is far superior to Jameson Gibson Park who I think is way better suited to a counter transition game plan so uh, for me Casey would be in there just because of the speed and quality of delivery he gives us, we would need him to be passing more often than what we would with Gibson Park. So we need those passes to be accurate and quick because we want to be able to stretch them with our phase play across the extra on average three or four phases per sequence that we will be playing. Um, in midfield, broadly the same. Uh, Bundy Aki would be my starting guy at number 12 without question. Um, I would need to bring in a more creative presence at outside centre. Um, that could be Antoine Frisch, um, but I would need somebody in those midfield spots who was, who was able to basically act, act as, as an auxiliary handler. James Lowe I would still keep uh, on the, the wing. Uh, on the other wing I would still keep Mac Hansen there as well. I'd like to, you know, his, his creativity is something that I'd be looking for there. But I would be also looking at the likes of um, maybe Robert Balakoon or somebody else who is yet to be revealed, um, who will be able to play with a bit of size and power out in that wing. Um, so I'm looking for somebody who's 6'3", six, 6'4", six, who's able to play at you know 110 kg or maybe a little bit higher um, as a power winger for us because uh, I need somebody who can help m maybe keep that hard edge uh, out there and be used as a, as a loop option or whatever else. At fullback, I need a strike runner. So, um, you know, again, Hugo Keenan is an obvious guy to keep there. I'd like to try and build a little bit more of Mike Haley in there, but 
there's more guys that you could use in there too like again I, I, I'd, have, I'd find a role for James Hume I think uh, Stuart McCluskey would still have a large part to play uh, Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose would still obviously be very important um, I would probably use Gary Ringrose more as a winger to be honest because um, I think that his use as a winger in, in an on-ball system with his skill set would actually be really, really good, more so than a midfielder. Um, but Robbie Henshaw, I think at the moment, I'd need to see a little bit more variety in his game um, to kind of have him more involved on, on, a, on a more regular basis. But that's kind of how I would that's kind of how I would build it from a selection point of view. Um, and who knows if it would be successful or not, because we know this Irish, Irish team is successful, but that's kind of how I would build it because I think that a lot of the guys there were already really suited to playing that way like Porter for example would be an absolute diamond in an on-ball system but you know that's the that's how I would run it um, Alex Fulton says as well with the uh, oh yeah so sorry I, I, I read the second part of that question already Krusty92 says hi Tom listening to the latest mailbag I've seen the stat in soccer about how much ground players cover any idea what ground rugby players cover in a match obviously there's a huge positional and game plan component but even ballpark figures would be interesting so uh, the average distance that a rugby player in general will cover during a game if you're a back is around six kilometers on average that's how much ground they cover roughly um that's done in a number of different ways most of the time it's walking <laughs> it's it's a it's a you wouldn't think it but most of that is going to be walking with uh you know 20 percent jogging i think it's down to like you know 10 or five percent of it is going to be sprint, sprinting at max if you think which if you think about it makes a lot of sense um the scrum half usually covers the most ground um, because again they have to service the ruck which is back and forth back and forth all over the place so they're the ones who will cover the most ground in the game so your fitness as a scrum half is obviously going to be hugely important as a prop or a kind of a heavier forward you're going to be doing on average around four and a half kilometers per game roughly but a lot of that is going to be um uh, walking or strolling <laughs> um, with a light jog <laughs> in some cases um, with a lot of your cardio output being in the more physical aspects of the game where you are maybe running into contact but that again is only rare enough or you're going to be scrummaging or mauling which again is a different type of um, cardio exhaustion because it's the you know it's it's holding pressure and then trying to deliver pressure yourself which again is, is exhausting if you've ever done it so uh, yeah I hope that uh, goes some way to answering that question for you uh, Stige Ball says Hi Tom it's November 1st Ireland have just lifted the Web Ellis for the first time in history but you're now one of the most analysed teams in the world and other nations have figured out how to disrupt the Irish game plan to the point that reinvention is needed what do you do in your first two years post World Cup to put you in a position to go for the double in 2027 that's a good question um I would definitely look to move towards a more of an on-ball game. I think that's where the game is going overall. Um, I think that a lot of the points that I mentioned in the earlier uh, answer would I would look to try to duplicate um, more. Obviously, I can't go back in time yet um, to get Jean Klein uh, to play for Ireland from around 2021 on. But in that environment, I would be looking more at getting in Edwin Adogbo. I wanted to see more of Tom Ahern. Um, and just basically hope those guys can stay fit for a bit to get, get exposure in there and look to try to get that size that I need in the um, in the uh, second row. But I think one of the big issues for Ireland going forward is props, um, where we have Tyke Furlong, who's obviously still class. Andrew Porter is one of the best in the world in open play. Um, but I think 
behind those guys there's a couple of question marks and I need to I'll need to get guys in there fairly quickly to see what they're about because I think Tyke Furlong is kind of on the down slope of his career now where he's not the same type of guy he was maybe in 2017 or 2018 I mean I'm not so he shouldn't be um Andrew Porter is 20 coming up in 28 now um great player but we've nobody like him so that's going to be a big focus for me is finding young players who have something similar of a profile and look to try to get them in and uh, get them as much experience as i can um mk booch says hi tom given how good the south african defense is how do ireland scheme plan to get around that blitz um it's going to be difficult because i think if you watch back that game at the weekend against scotland they tried a few times to draw out that edge blitz so if you look at south africa they basically have it's an overlapping cover with an edge blitz so what they do is that they blitz up high at the edge of their defensive line leave a lot of space on the outside that basically says pass over that pass that ball along over that or else try and play around us You'll see Jesse Creel doing a lot for for um, for the Springboks in the last couple of weeks, but certainly against Scotland. What Scotland tried to do was draw out that defender and then pass inside that defender. Now, South Africa were able to adapt to that. One thing I think Ireland are really good at is building layers into the attack. Layers as a way to get around that blitz. So basically, you've got to have really good, tight, short handling where you don't necessarily want your action... Um, when that ball comes back into the second layer off, we'll say Sexton, if he's passing, but you know, if, if the ball comes to Sexton behind the screen and he's hitting Aki or Gary Ringrose, what we don't want is for that player to then be stepping and slinging a pass out to the space where they think the Springboks have given us. I think we need, that's where we need the likes of Hansen and Lowe to be able to be overload that edge blitz so basically if Jesse Creel and Cheslin Colby or Kurt Lorenza are going to be shooting up on that edge we want to have an extra man looping behind us so even if we have to play it a little bit deeper play that bit further back let Jesse Creel come out let Cheslin Colby come out to us hit that ball back they want to they'll want to get at Sexton so there's going to be not a dog leg but because I think with 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 the Springbok defense they blitz knowing that they're trusting their inside man to cover across the space they push in and they push out so if you're looking at a a three-man pod right the defense is basically covering outside man so i'm able to run up and cover the man who's on my outside shoulder i'm backing the guy who is on my inside shoulder to cover the guy who's in my line so they will go and they'll push out while their outside edge defense pushes in. They bl- they blitz up and in. So basically, they're like just it's like a pincer coming in where they just basically pressurize you into this really horrible spot and you've got nowhere to go. And that's where you make mistakes, or you have to, you know, you have to come back inside, and all of a sudden you get smashed by the likes of Etzebeth, or you get smashed by whoever. Either way, you're getting smashed. <laughs> so for Ireland, we have to really back our the ability of Keenan, Hansen, and Lowe to cover a ton of ground, looping in the background. Now you'll see what Ireland have been doing a lot, and I, I've got an article coming this week on it. Um, is that we've been building in a um, an offload option on our pod of three because we, we still have a 3-2x system 
But what we've been doing is, is we've been trailing the likes of Hugo Keenan or James Lowe or Mac Hansen, almost not even on a pocket route on Sexton or whoever's going to be standing at 10. The 10 is quite tight to that pot of three, you'll notice. We've been running Keenan and Hansen and Lowe very, very tight behind that 10. So the guy who's behind the screen of forwards, there's another outside back who's just slightly recessed. So when Ireland get a tip on, that's basically their cue to just scorch past Sexton and scorch past the outside runner or the guy who got the tip on to look for an offload. So they're going to look for an offload or a kind of a tip on pass or a pass out of the out of the tackle as they loop around there. They're going to try and do that too because I think that the, the big thing for the Springboks is that they'll feel they'll be able to dominate us physically and they might be able to dominate us physically and I think they, they, they will at times but we don't have to get over the gain line every time to beat them. We just need quick ball and what they'll be thinking is is that if we like the Springboks be thinking we'll be able to beat up this Irish team but we'll also slow down their ruck possession so everything's a little bit slower Sexton can't get the ball on the move and if he doesn't get the ball on the move we can smash him if he's standing still he'll have to reset or they'll have to go deeper or they'll have to kick and then we'll play off that kick so we will see um, but I think that's how I would do it anyway uh, Freddie Pook fan club says Tom based on the South Africa game today how much does Nine Bar really have a say in the dressing room is he a great number two or is he just there for window dressing what will his role at Leinster be like this being one example of where you can see Razzie is running the show yeah look Razzie is still very much in control of, the, of, the, of that Springbok team with Jacques Nienabar being his head coach but you have to understand like the head coach as it's described in this instance reports to the director of rugby so the director of rugby is the guy who has the overall plan who is basically looking for guys to implement the plan that he has in there. It's not necessarily about the style that the the director of rugby wants to play. Like he will have a style that he will basically identify and then bring guys in whose job it is to implement that plan. So if you look at Nynabar, he's a really good head coach in that. I'm not sure if he has any overarching, you know, philosophies on the game himself. He's a great defence coach. I think he'll do a lot of that at Leinster as well. But... He's basically as a as as a head coach. Now I'm not because sure, again I'm not in the Springboks changing room, so I don't know what his if he's more or less influential than other people. He's a great man, is Jacques Nidebar, gentleman. Like, but I think with at, at Leinster there'll be obviously there's going to be a bit of a bedding in period where he kind of finds out what he's supposed to be doing or not doing or whatever else. So I think it's something that you know we'll have to wait and see how he goes. But he's a, a great man for helping to implement a game plan. So he's a really good guy to have around the training pitch. Again, a great defense coach. So I think he'll take a bit of responsibility for that as well. But again, I'm not sure if what we're seeing here is Razzie's overall game plan with uh, Jacques Nienabar implementing it as Razzie decided to change up whatever they were doing. Or if it's Jacques Nienabar driving the bus in it. Honestly, I, I can't say for sure because they would never come out outright and just say that. You know, so I, I think that if you look at if they were to say anything, it would obviously be that Jock Nidabara's head coach is going to be the one who's going to be getting any credit or blame for what's happening with, with the, the Springboks. But I think that uh, Razzie is still hugely influential. Um, Eugene says, does the New Zealand Lucid getting penalised against France mean we might see the scrum ref more strictly at the World Cup? Um, yes, I think so. I think we're going to have... Um, the scrum is something that they've absolutely put a bit of focus on. Uh, they've had Mike Cron in instructing the referees on what exactly to look for if a scrum is going wrong and who is looking to penalise who. So basically, who's at blame 
you know, who, or who's to blame for a scrum going down or whatever else. So they're a little bit more hot on that now. Um, that's going to be a big challenge against the Springboks, I think, for sure. Um, and your other question here is, Carly's treatment of the Welsh versus Fijian players probably cost them a World Cup scalp. Is there something to be said that world, uh, the World Rugby should bring in uh, an extra neutrality clause? For example, a home nation's uh, ref isn't considered in a North versus South match, or is there a case for being a second ref in the pitch? Um, I, I don't think it was about Matthew Carley being biased for Wales. It's really, if you think about it, like he's an Englishman. So like if he was biased for anybody, it would surely be the Fijians. Because you know, obviously, why does he want to see Wales win anything? Um, I think sometimes I think referees, we can hear hooves outside and think it's a zebra when it's actually just a horse where a ref has just had a bad game. Like in that moment there where I think the people are really focusing on in that uh, Wales versus Fiji game. Wales had a number of infringements on their own try line. And I think in that moment, Fiji probably should have been putting a little bit more pressure on the referee, but it's just that, like that's just not how they play the game. But even then, if you're Matthew Carley, you're thinking there's lots of foul play going on here, or there's lots of cynical play going on here. I've got to put my foot down on this now. So the next time that that penalty was given away, it was Fiji. And it was a mall going forward. It looked like it was going to go over the try line. So he gives the yellow card. Now, he should have given the yellow card previously and I think if he went back and looked at it again he probably would say I should have yellow carded Wales there but that's kind of how like sometimes the same as a player same as a coach you can kind of get under yourself in a game like that and all of a sudden you're kind of going oh fuck I've kind of got to do something here now and refs are, like players sometimes they'll make a rash decision like they'll try and make an uh, you know an offload that isn't on or a pass that isn't on like referees will be the same during a big game like that where emotions are up and there's a you know it's obviously it's it's flowing and it's a really interesting game like referees can get lost as well sometimes and I think that's what happened Matthew Carley there as well in that one um Finn photography says um as you pointed out, both RG Sam and John Clayne are out of contract at the end of the year. If you're Wig, who do you want to resign? Is it impossible to see a scenario where we get to keep both? If we can only keep one, who, considering the likes of Adogbo, Hearn, O'Connell, and Witcherly are coming through, who best fits our system going forward? But both of them do. Like, both of them are really exactly what you'd want in an on-ball system, I think. I'd try trading whatever horses I needed to trade, within reason, to keep both. Uh, Snayman for another year. Uh, get John Clay onto a three-year deal, um, just to try and you know leave her leave her any uh, <laughs> any sympathy that we might have for a look. We you know built this player up. He was available for Ireland, but you didn't use him, and now he's lost, and he's a, you know playing a big part for South Africa in the World Cup. Try and utilize that a little bit to try and get a longer-term deal for John Clay. Look, he's heading into his thirties, uh, so maybe his best days physically will be behind him. But who knows? Look, who's to say in, in two years, three years, whatever else? But I think we need him for another contract, not just one year, two years at least. I would say I would try to get. Um, but if I have to keep one, geez, I'd have to keep you. You'd have to keep Clay, you know, because he's been at the club for so long. Um, Snayman is a guy; he's so well respected, such a big leader for the team. I would look to try and keep him as well with the idea being basically, look, Ahern is going to be our big guy going forward. Dogbo is a guy for the future. He's like, what, 20, 21. Like, he's still incredibly young. He's still building himself physically. Wouldn't it be better, as I was saying earlier with Joe McCarthy, that these guys get to go out there and play with Jean Klein and play with RG Snayman to have these guys who are, you know, one of them is a World Cup winner, you know, by the sure, who knows? Like, sure, both of them could be World Cup winners by the time uh, it's all said and done at this World Cup. So I could make a case to say, look, we have talented young locks here. You know, Evan O'Connell, 
Tom O'Hearn, Edwin Adogbo, who are all young players still. So do we want those guys just playing with each other? Like, do we want them to be just out there and they're both driving each other around the field? No. I think we want them out there to be playing alongside experienced, really on-roll players for the system and just let them play their game naturally. Let them build themselves up over the next two, three years so we don't need to be throwing these guys in before they're ready and allow them to basically just grow into the game. Um, I think that's that's the logic that I would make behind it in that. Like, especially, like you, you've mentioned Finney Mitchell here. Finney Mitchell is a senior player already. So he's a guy who's already very well established but Adogbo, O'Hearn and O'Connell like I know O'Hearn is a little bit older but like Adogbo and O'Connell are incredibly young like do we want these guys to be really good players like do we want them to come out and get developed properly if so who better to do that alongside than Jean Klein and RG Snayman because again RG hasn't been fit for the last two years so like we see him coming back in and now all of a sudden like he's been four years of Munster really we've only gotten six months out of him, maybe a year maybe maybe ha- maybe half a year we'll say which is again six months but like you look at you look at that and go well wouldn't these guys if we'll say a regular URC game once the World Cup is over right say you had a starting combination of um we'll say on a six-two split bench say you're starting with John Klain and Thomas O'Hearn they're replaced on 55 minutes with RG Snayman and Edwin Dogbo. Both those young players get to go out there and just play their game while the experienced guy alongside them helps them, helps them to develop. You could put, do the exact same, we'd say, with Evan O'Connell. Play him alongside one of those two guys, let him play his game while they'll run the rest of the stuff. That's exactly how I would want those guys to come in. There's a developmental case to be said for it, I would think. And hopefully hopefully uh, we'll get to keep both although I would be surprised but we will see anyway thank you very much for sending in your questions this week's TRK Mailbag I've got another bunch of them that I'm going to be doing um, and I'm going to let them out as soon as I can uh, but if you have a question you'd like to ask or, or include in next week's uh, TRK Mailbag info at TRKings.com or go to the TRK Mailbag channel on the TRK Secret Club or message me on Patreon directly and I will include it next week so thank you very much for all your questions I'll talk to you again very very soon